I had a phone call this week. I was on the uh, phone talking to a friend of mine, actually. And he, um, he said during the course of the phone call, with a chuckle, he said, um, don't, don't meet your heroes. It can be sometimes disappointing. Uh, I, I'll give you a bit of background. We were talking about, uh, this, is, this guy's a bit of a journalist and he in the Christian kind of scene. And I called him up about a news story that's about to break. I won't go into details of that now. And I, it, it kind of involves a, a really key kind of leader in the Christian world, particularly in the, in the States. And um, Andy, my friend, uh, had uh, met him and, and, and so on. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, well, I remember meeting you and he is one of my heroes. And, and it was a really kind of quite an awkward and, and strange conversation. He said, I came away thinking, this guy, I, I admire and mentor him. And he's, you know, I see him as a great, great leader. But, you know, he didn't seem to be able to uh, say a few words to me, really. Uh, and I had a, had a slightly similar experience when when I worked in the missions world, I met one of um, my heroes once as well. Um, and you know the thing about some of these high-powered kind of public people, perhaps they're not so good at the small talk. Uh, and, and anyway, I was uh, uh, talk, chatting to him. And because I didn't really know what else, I asked about his son, actually, because I knew uh, I'd met his son when he was a student quite a few years before, maybe at least 10 years earlier. And... Um, I made a re- remark, said, oh, you know, I remember your son. You know, I used to know him when he was a student a few years ago. Yeah, how's he doing? I thought that when this guy kind of said quite a dismissive remark along the lines of, well, he just needs to, you know, put Jesus first in his life or something like that. And, and I remember this guy, okay, it was 10 years ago, as a, yeah, quite a key, really keen Christian. Yeah, in, in the, I met him through the CU because I used to work with Christian unions. And he was like that evangelism. He was really kind of quite keen at the time. And I nearly made a remark along those lines. But I thought, oh, no, we, we kind of moved on. Well, later I was talking to another friend who knew this hero of mine very well. And um, I told him about it. He said, good job you didn't say that. He said, he, he might have punched you, punched you if you had done. He said, oh, right, okay. And then he said, because he would have re- repented immediately afterwards. And, you know, he reassured me. But it's, it's just that, you know, you kind of... Perhaps we sometimes put people up. I don't think he really would have punched me, by the way, but it was like a, you know, an example. We put people up, don't we, on pedestals, and sometimes it can be disappointing. Now, what do we think about God? Would we be surprised uh, to meet our hero, or is he our hero, in fact? You know, that's a question. Where do we get our ideas about him from? Well, there's lots of places they can come from. They can come from things that we've grown up with in childhood, in our background. They can come from, you know, people that we've met who have had a certain way of behavior or certain ideas about God. Sometimes I think it can be in in the reactions that we have to circumstances, things that happen to us. Lots of places. Well, this little series that we're going to begin today is really about how generous God really is and how that everything we know of him, everything we experience of him comes out of his generous love, his grace, his kindness to us. You see, he gives us so much, doesn't he? Yet sometimes we, we miss that most obvious truth. We, kind of think, we start thinking that God is mean or, 
or doesn't, you know, wants to hold us back or always wants to clip people around the ear for doing wrong or whatever. We have this kind of image of God. If you want to kind of pursue that, I wrote a blog this week, which is up on the website. You can read it. Or if you don't have access, there's some copies out in the uh, foyer with that kind of picture of tomatoes at the top. And it says, our generous God, our generosity in God. It's a kind of introduction to the series. So afterwards, pick one up. You might find that kind of gives you some idea of where we're going over these six Sundays as we kind of travel together. So today we're focusing on the God who generously gives us life. He's the creator. And out of that, he generously gives us lots of other things too. So let's think about, first of all, the God who generally gives us life. Okay, I've got too much out there, but it doesn't matter. Um, so the God who generously gives us. So now, some of the Psalms, and uh, actually Dan read one of them earlier on, really rejoice in how God lavishly provides in creation. So if you have a look at Psalm 104, I'm just going to do a quick trip through some Psalms here. Now, these may come up on the screen as well, um, but Psalm 104 is a really, uh, one of, it's on page 607, really celebrates this. How God lavishly provides in the created world. So we read, look at verses 1 to 5 on page 606 rather. Praise the Lord my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chariot chambers on their waters and so on. Recognize that? He wraps himself in light. You know, it's the inspiration for the song we sometimes sing. You know, how great is our God? He wraps himself in light and darkness seems to hide. That's where that song kind of comes from. And it goes through, you know, verse 27 to 30, it goes through with a great list of what God does. For at Verse 10, he, springs, he, spri- he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field and so on. And then look at verse 27. All creatures look to you, you to give them their food at the proper time when you give it to them they gather it up when you open your hand they are satisfied with good things when you hide your face they are terrified when you take away their breath they die and return to the dust when you send your spirit they are created and you renew the face of the ground this sense of this God who kind of overflows in love and generosity into his creation or have a look at Psalm 36 just a few verses back a few pages back, rather. And this is on page um, three, five, six, three, I think. Yeah, page 563. Again, I don't know where that's coming up. No, five, page, uh, Psalm 36. And look at um, verses 5 to 10 there. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing, O God, your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see life. It's another song we sing that's kind of based on that psalm. 
See the point there? It's not just creation, but now it's, it's people. God's kindness, God's generosity. Look at, uh, there's that reference there to God's righteousness in verse 6. Your justice. That source that people instinctively have of what's right and what's just. And when things just aren't right or things are just unjust. You know, it's part of God's kind of pouring that into uh, our hearts as created beings, the psalmist is saying there. And then have a look at Psalm 145, which is one of the most striking examples. Sorry if we're running around the psalms a bit here, but we will settle in a moment or two. Um, and the notice sheet will start to make perfect sense to you in a moment or two. Page 631, Psalm 145, verses 8 to 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Look at the second half of verse 13 over the page. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. See, these verses are pointing to how God is kind and gracious. It's part of how the world works. Now, the world isn't perfect. We know it's fallen and it's flawed. But still, there's this sense that God is graciously sustaining and giving so much to people, not just to um, animals and the created world. It's for everyone. Did you notice that? All there in those verses, all the Lord is concerned for all, it says. Now, these psalms, they come out of... um, the community of Israel, God's people, people who knew God, people who believed him, people who trusted him, people who walked with him. And we know that we can trust him. Jesus kind of picked up on the same ideas, didn't he, in his teaching. He says that you, we have a heavenly father who knows how many hairs we have on our head. Hmm. Some of us have got a lot, some of us not so many. But he knows. It's it's an expression of Jesus saying, this is how God cares. God knows this stuff. He knows about little sparrows that fall to the ground. And Jesus said he, he looks after them, or he's aware of that. So says Jesus, how much more for you? He says to his disciples. And Psalm 145 has that lovely verse, verse 14. See how tender it is. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. And we know that what that's like, don't we, some of us? Well, all of us at some time. We know what it's like to be bowed down, maybe to fall. We saw last week, didn't we, from Peter's experience in John 21. It was all about that, how God, Jesus lifted him up again. Do listen to it if you haven't had a chance to hear that online so we know that what we have God has given us as his people yeah we know he provides and we live in the light of that so we don't make what he has given us our security but rather our security is in him 
There's an interesting verse in 1 Timothy 6 in the Bible, which talks about how uh, rich people, Paul says to them in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, if you're rich, that's fine, but don't trust in your riches. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that's cool. I've got everything I need. It says, uh, Paul, uh, the Bible goes on to say, no, you trust in God. Commit your way to God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. Everything we have, God has given us. We don't trust in what he's given us. We trust in him because he has generously given us life. He's generously given us life. So let's make sure we today at least take home this one realization. God has given us life generously. He sustains us generously. He gives us what we have. We can trust him to care for us as our loving Heavenly Father. He is a creator God. And, and, you know, as we share with other people, as we share our good stuff with other people, as we come alongside people who may not even follow Jesus or may not even know God, there's still this truth that God is a loving and kind creator. And he doesn't have a you know, monopoly on only helping bowed down Christians or broken Christians, as say families for children. We come alongside those who are broken out of the generosity that God has given us. That's, he works for that. He doesn't say, I'm only going to help Christians. His goodness overflows to all. So let's be aware of that. Maybe stop each day and thank him. Make it a discipline. But is it all just for us? Because we kind of look out on this with, with a trust and a belief in God. Or is it something kind of broader, as I've just implied? Now we're going to Acts chapter 17, which is up on the, the screen, just to uh, uh, see how this works out. Acts 17, and that's on page... Um, if you've got it, you can shout out the page number. 1113. Thank you, Sue. Great. Act 17 on page 1113. I want us to look into this passage for a bit. We'll start at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And that was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And so on. And the upshot of it is, is that they ask him to come to a meeting of something called the Areopagus, and it's in verse 22, and uh, Paul gets the chance to explain himself and what he's saying in the Areopagus, which is in verse 22. Let's read on. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, 
He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was, among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So here we find the Apostle Paul then in Athens. This is the center in the ancient world for intellectual philosophy. I suppose it's like the Oxbridge of Greece and, and far wider. It had a fantastic history. It's a community that's kind of buzzing with ideas. Loads of very clever people. And lots of things started out of Greek philosophy. Stuff like democracy and things like that, you know. Everyone there was preoccupied with meaning and looking for meaning. That's the kind of atmosphere that Paul's in in Athens. It's also a center of worship, but not the worship of God. And actually, they've never heard of Jesus, because Paul's going to tell them about Jesus. And Paul spends some time looking around the city and and really taking time to, to see what it's about, consider what's going on there. And he's absorbing what they believe. And he's absorbing their culture. And it says he is greatly disturbed. He's really stirred up by what he sees. And so he talks to them. But what does he talk to them about to start with? He talks to them about the creator God who has given people life and wants people to find him. That's where he starts. Did you notice that? That's his, his message. Now, he probably spoke, you know, this, this is not the script of his message, you know. He would have been a very short talk if it had been. He almost certainly, Paul was someone who could talk for, well, for Greece. You know, he, he talked for once for so long that someone um, fell asleep after about 10 hours and fell out of the window and died and had to be raised again from the dead later. Uh, so he could have gone on for a bit longer, but Luke uh, gets the edited highlights and gives us the structure of his talk here. But it brings us on to the second thing I wanted to say. I don't have to click. Is that not only is God the one who generously gives us life, he is the God who generously wants people to find him. You see, this was a city of people who were aware of God at some level. If they knew he was near them in some way. Because they were human beings and they knew enough about their humanity to sense that there was a God. And they described themselves as his offspring. They knew that their life had kind of come from him somehow. In fact, their own poets and writers had said as much and Paul quotes them here. That's what they said. 
They had other writers who said that in God we live and move and have our being. Here it is in the Bible, but it's a quotation from one of their own uh, philosophers, their own writers. But the thing is, something had gone badly wrong. They needed to worship. They were human beings. They sensed that there was something beyond themselves where they would find significance and meaning and a place kind of in the world. And they even made a shrine. And they called it the unknown God. And Paul says, hello, you're missing something. I want to tell you about the God you're looking for. Because the God generously, who I know, says Paul, generously wants you to find him. Can I tell you about the God you're looking for? Hey, have you ever thought that the way we live and speak to people is like that? That your witness could be like that? Our message is... Can we tell you about the God you're looking for? Not, you know, to actually begin... Well, you could try a conversation like that if you want to. But underneath it, people are looking for the significance, the meaning, a place to belong. And here we are. We know the God who generously wants people to find him. How about that? Because people have this inbuilt hunger. They have this awareness St. Augustine said this. Oh, now it's working. Okay. I don't know what went on there. Okay. So there's St. Augustine. So we must have had two sets of the... the anyway, here's St. Augustine. He said... You, he looks a bit concerned, doesn't he? You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's the human experience, isn't it? Maybe we don't admit that, but often that is the case. And what went wrong? We see, people knew what they really wanted. They knew what they really hoped for. They had deep longings for what mattered most. They had strong senses of what would give them significance. And somehow they invested their hope and their trust in something they put together for themselves. This would give them the spiritual significance they wanted, the spiritual home, the security, the meaning, the kind of coming together of what was disintegrated in their experience. They think, yeah, I, 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 and we, we can get this, and we can get this from this place. A kind of home for their dreams, as it were. It became actually a figure, often, a little statue that they kept in a place. All they needed, all they ever dreamed of, all their significance and security, was it was in a kind of place, a temple that they built with a figure in it that kind of symbolized all their hopes and dreams. And Paul talks to them in verse 24 in this way. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and, he, well, earth, and they marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Why did God do that? Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him. 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Paul tells them, God gave you life. God created you. God has set up human society and sees the way things run. And he's done it for a purpose so that you can reach out and find him. Because he wants people to find him. That's what he wants. But he's not found, says Paul, in what you make. In some temple. He said, his argument is, you know, if you're looking for something bigger than yourself so that you find meaning within it, how can you possibly get that from making something yourself? It's the wrong way around, isn't it? If you're looking for spiritual meaning that's going to help you feel at home somewhere, that's not going to come from what you do. It's, going to, it's got to come to you from God. Now, we may be thinking, well, we don't do that, do we? Not in our culture, surely. Don't we? Well, we don't find little idols or shrines. But where do we look for meaning, for significance, for identity, for purpose, for spiritual home? Isn't it in kind of what we do? The social constructs, that means all the kind of relationships we have, the people we love or we want to be loved by. The person I dream to be because of the images I see. And we wrap all these hopes and all these longings and all these desires. We treasure them. We don't store them in a temple. No, of course we don't. Maybe we put them in a cloud. A digital temple. Social media and everything that's behind it. Everything we trust Everything we treasure, everything we love, everything we worship, it all gets kind of in that place. That place we have to keep going back to. Might not be Facebook, dare I mention the name, or do I open myself up to prosecution? I don't know, let's go for it. Or some other medium. It doesn't have to be that, it can be something else. But somewhere where our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our significance, what we want, who we want to be, everything is kind of wrapped up and put somewhere where we can go and find the security someplace we've made or has been made it kind of within our society don't we do that do we do that our hearts go anywhere for security our restless hearts will go anywhere but the god who wants us to find him i don't know whether that's your experience today might be the experience of some of your friends i think it's the experience out there in our culture But, you know, the good news is that God wants you to find him. He wants to bring us home to him. Our identity and our worth is found in his love for us as our creator and the one who gave us life and our rescuer, as we shall see. This is the safe place, not what we do, not what we get or what we desire, not where we go to try and make life work. I don't mean physically go, but in our heads and our hearts. You know, where we go to try and make sense of it all or try and get control of everything that's out of control. Because that's what idol worshippers did. They thought, well, this is where we'll be able to kind of influence things that are out of control kind of thing. This is good news, isn't it, for our world? I think it is. Our idol-filled, digitally idolatrous world. God wants people to find him. 
It's his generous love. And then Paul goes on to tell people where they can find him. Verse 30. Because the God he goes on to talk about is the God who is generously found in Jesus. Now, a lot of philosophies, I believe, but I did check this out last night in a call to a philosopher graduate who confirmed that this was, in fact, the case. He even went and looked up a book while we were on the WhatsApp. Uh, this is my other son, but I'll tell you who it was. So with, the, with his stamp of approval, I can share this. A lot of philosophies and systems of thought, especially religious ones, are really concerned about a very big problem. And the problem that lots of ideologies and philosophies are concerned about is the problem of what, what's wrong with the world, really. The way the world is flawed. There's evil. There's suffering. There's chaos. It might be called imbalance or you know, bad karma, good karma, or whatever it is. There's this sense of something's wrong. And lots of... Um, kind of philosophies or, or, or religious systems have this idea that, this is, that there's this continuous cycle of human failure, of suffering, or of misery, of injustice. And where does it come from and what can we do about it is the, the big question that many huge minds have devoted vast amounts of time to trying to figure out. Well, look at the climax of Paul's talk in verse 30. There's a couple of key words in here. Well, we'll start in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, or some other thing we've constructed where we find our meaning, purpose, etc. Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He tells them about the God who is generously found in Jesus. See what he's doing there? He kind of, in these verses, Paul kind of switches off the kind of Spin cycle. It's been spinning round and round and round, you know, suffering hard, you know, out of order. The world's kind of round and round and round, it's gone. And Paul just says, with a one sweeping statement, he says, In the past, that's how it's been cycling round, guys. God overlooked such ignorance. But then comes the two key words. But now, he says, God commands everyone everywhere to repent. Because what Paul is telling them is that the way home is Jesus. Paul is telling them, and and, uh, Jesus isn't actually mentioned here by name, I don't think, actually. He's referred to as the son, the man he has appointed. But we know that Paul had been going on about Jesus and the resurrection because that was one of the things that people asked Paul to talk about. You can see that up there earlier in the passage. But Paul is telling them that something big has happened. God has done something. He stepped in and stopped it all. And he expects us to respond to that. Jesus has come. He's died. He's been raised. The world is going to be sorted out. Put right. That's the idea of judgment. He's going to judge the world. How? With justice by this man, Jesus Christ. This man who has been raised 
from the dead. And Paul says that's the proof of it. And it's proof for all people. We looked at the evidence of the resurrection a few weeks ago. Paul is saying this is God's intervention. He's made a way that we can find God through Jesus. This Jesus being raised from the dead. And it's for all people. He's made this generous way to put the world straight through Jesus. Jesus the risen man. His body is the beginning of the renewal of the whole of creation, if you think about it. He's the first bit of the whole of creation renewed. His body that was dead and and was gloriously resurrected, just as everything will be renewed. And Paul says that's for everyone. God calls everyone to turn to him, to repent, to turn away from the stuff we've put our trust in and trust ourselves to God and Jesus his son, his, his man, as it were, who has died and been raised. So now, how does that affect us? Well, it means that we can turn away from our own tempts to get spiritually satisfied. It's what repentance means. God commands people everywhere to repent. It means to turn away and go in a different direction and go with Jesus That's the way to find the spiritual home we yearn for. And if you're not yet a Christian, then you can do that today. You can say to Jesus, I want to know you. I want to go your way. I want you to renew my life. I, I want you to be the place where I find significance. I want God's generous love as my creator. And in Jesus, the one who can rescue me to be the center of where I find meaning, significance, purpose. All those things I hope I'm going to find somewhere else. God, I'm coming to you because I realize they're empty and I need you. We can do that today. Or if we're already Christians, then we need to keep with Jesus and avoid the pull to alternative places of spiritual security. Because, you know, the Bible says to Christians, one John, John the writer, John the apostle, says, little children, he says to the people he's writing to, keep yourself from idols. Don't go back that way. Remember, Jesus is all you need. He's the place for spiritual satisfaction. And God wants this for all people. He wants all people everywhere to repent. So it's for us. It's for our friends. It's for our world that is so messed up. The God who generously gives life to all people. The God who generously wants all people to find him. He wants all people to come away from our attempts to put substitutes in his place. He is the God who brings us home to him through Jesus. What a generous God. What an amazing thing he's done. So this week, let's live with our true home, our true security, our true worth, our true identity found in God's generous gift to us. A gift of life as created beings and forgiven people through Jesus, God's son. Let's stay away from the alternatives, from the idols. Jesus, the living one, is in us by the Holy Spirit. We can live our lives overflowing with thankfulness because God has been so good to us and wants everyone to know him. God wants everyone to know him. That's what they just said in in this passage. God wants everyone to know him. Do you believe that? 
Do I believe that? It's been great to be reminded of it. God, there is nobody that, nobody that God doesn't want to know him. Go through the people you know. God wants everyone to know him. Generously found in Jesus. Let's pray and then the band will lead us in worship and response. Father, we thank you for just the security that we can find in knowing that you are the one who has given us life as created beings. Whatever the processes that were used, we don't know really. We don't know about how it happened, but we do know that however it happened, you gave us life and you are still there sustaining life for your creation. We thank you, Lord, that you have done that. You've wired us. You've wired the world in such a way that we might find you. And we're so sorry that we turn to the wrong things. Lord, we cry out to our culture. And we pray, Lord, that we may be people who are able to say through our lives or maybe in our conversations, can I tell you about the God you're looking for? Lord, as we see so many people, so many uh, that we know maybe, just searching in all kinds of places, trying to desperately trying to find that security when it can be found in you. Help us to point people. Help us to live ourselves as if you are, as you are, our only place of home and safety. And Lord, we pray that we may just uh, continue to live in the light of your generosity through this week ahead. Lord, may we be people who overflow with thankfulness, who see you for the, uh, as the one behind all the things that you give us. Help us to receive all your gifts as if, Lord, you're right there giving them to us at the time. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.